to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Love is the heart of reality, true or false? Yeah, it's a bit of a controversial statement. Not everybody agrees. Some would say that reality is matter, atoms and physical properties and laws. But when I look at the world and I peer as best I can into the heart of things, not just what the world is made of, but the reason that we are here, I see love. Now, some people look at all of this stuff and see no method to the madness. They see the texture of a human life, the beauty and the joy that we experience, the suffering and the death that we all experience, and many will throw up their hands in the face of all this and say, there really isn't any pattern, there's no cause, there's no direction to any of this existence, and I respect that perspective, I do. But for those of us who have agreed to go by the name Christian, When we see into the heart of the world, into the essence of things, we are invited to see love. God is love. Love, we believe, is the cause of all of this. In the beginning, we know God loved the world into its creation. God made everything good. We believe that God makes a promise to us. God makes a a covenant with us in love to be our God, to be with us and to be for us every single minute of every single day. And in love, God has been faithful to that promise. We believe with John that God so loves the world that divinity becomes humanity, that God takes on our flesh. God comes to walk alongside of us. God comes to show us our created goodness. God comes to save us as Jesus when we have lost our way. We believe that God suffers with us. For a love that will not suffer is not really love. But nor do we believe that love is overcome by suffering nor by death itself. We Christians believe that 
Shaped by God's love, we, we give the name heaven to the future that is coming when the fullness of God will be revealed to us. When God will be at home with us human beings, when justice and peace will embrace each other and all flesh will dwell in love and freedom. Love is the heart of reality. That's what Christians believe. And love, for one who chooses to follow Jesus, is how we are invited to experience the present moment, to live in the present, to live in love. Love one another, Jesus says, as I have loved you. Love your neighbors as yourself. Love even your enemies. Paul, for as much as I wrestle with him, gets it pretty much spot on in this passage about love. Paul says you can be a smooth talker. You can see the future, Paul says, clearly. You can have such faith that you can move mountains. You can be so selfless that you give away everything that you have to people who need it more than you do. But if you don't have love, none of it matters. Love is powerful, Paul says. But it's not the kind of power that overwhelms or dominates or conquers others. Did you hear what he said? Love bears all things and believes and hopes and endures all things. Love never ends. Love holds on. Love, Paul says, is the closest thing we have to truth. There's no such thing as being right unless you are also loving. Paul says one more thing about love at the end of this passage. And he's already said so many good things, this thing kind of gets lost. Because he, as he gets toward the end of this passage, uh, he begins to sound like he's talking in riddles. He says, we know now only in part, and we prophesy only in part. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Raise your hand if you've ever puzzled over these lines at least a little bit. Yeah. I've spent some time trying to understand what Paul is getting at. And as best as I can tell, Paul is talking about how for all of our talk, for all of our blustery affirmations about love's greatness and about love's supremacy, love never seems like it's quite enough. We have our doubts. We know we're supposed to think that love is the most powerful thing in all creation. You've heard me say that a hundred times from this pulpit. But love in the moment often feels like weak sauce. It doesn't immediately disarm the bully. Love doesn't prevent sickness. And it surely doesn't prevent death. Love doesn't immediately heal the sadness that we feel. 
I think Paul in, in this passage is saying there's a bit of an existential kind of wager that we put on love. We believe that love will win in the end. We believe that love will right the wrongs. We believe that love will find a way to draw those of us who are wayward back to the heart of God. We believe that love will heal the wounds that we bear. We will see that day in the future, Paul says. Our faith in love will be vindicated. But the way that we will know it, the way that the ultimate power of love gets confirmed in us, is that one day we will know ourselves as fully loved. We will meet God. However you understand that, we will meet God And God will look at you and say, you are my beloved. Love is mysterious. And one of love's great mysteries is that we are only capable of love if we have first been loved. We're able to love each other because someone else loved us first even when we did nothing to deserve it. Love is a mysterious heart of reality, but you can't go out and just grab it. You can't go out and just do love. Love must be given to you first. There's a maddening kind of passivity to love, especially for those of you who pride yourselves on being doers. Raise your hand. No, maybe don't. To be capable of loving another person, you have to be able to sit still long enough to receive it first. When we look around at our world and we see people who get it, and by that I mean when we see people who truly are living in the way of love, it's kind of a marvel. It's almost a miracle. Over the last couple of years, you've probably noticed there's been a renewed appreciation for one of the great modern apostles of love, Fred McFeely Rogers, known to most of us as Mr. Rogers. There's been a spate of movies recently about Fred Rogers, and thanks to them, many of us have been reminded, myself included, about his loving presence on the television screen throughout our childhoods. But it wasn't too long ago that Fred Rogers was the butt of a lot of jokes, mostly jokes, right? With his slow, syrupy speech and his kind of goofy, childlike mannerisms and his endless supply of colorful cardigan sweaters. Fred Rogers was the antithesis of cool. And in a world where most of us choose at least some degree of cynicism, so that we aren't constantly disappointed by people, Fred Rogers' sincere belief in human goodness was kind of an easy target. 
That began to change a couple years ago when a journalist named Tom Juno wrote a piece. It was in the late 90s and it appeared in Esquire. There was a series in Esquire about American heroes, and at the time, Tom Juno had a reputation as a journalist who was skilled at takedowns of famous people. Juno said that I was assigned to the story about Fred Rogers because one of the editors at Esquire thought it would be amusing to have me, with my stated determination to say the unsayable, write about the nicest man in the world. Juno admits that he went into the interview thinking that there was something behind the man. He assumed that there was a Mr. Rogers that stood in front of the camera and talked to children, but that there was a real Fred Rogers that got angry and, and had a bit of cynicism himself and didn't actually really like children at all. Without giving away the article, Tom Juno was wrong. What Juno found when he met Fred Rogers was a man who was deeply thoughtful and deeply reflective, deeply intentional, deeply religious, and deeply loving. The two men developed a friendship. They corresponded over the years a hundred times or more, and Juno is very clear that Fred Rogers, in a manner of speaking, saved him. He wrote, Fred Rogers was a man of resourceful and relentless kindness. Resourceful and relentless kindness. Who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. He trusted me when I thought I was untrustworthy. He took an interest in me that went well beyond my interest in him. For Fred Rogers, reality always came back to love. He wanted us to remember what it was like to be a child. He believed that if we remember what it's like to be a child, we would remember that we are a child of God. And if we remember that we are a child of God, we will know without a shadow of doubt that we are beloved. And if we are beloved, we are capable of loving others. Late in his career, Fred Rogers was given a Lifetime Emmy Award, and he appeared on stage to receive it among all of the famous television performers of the day. It's one of those award shows, and I know you've seen them. They've kind of gone out of fashion these days. But they used to be these massive productions, right, when people have spent ungodly amounts of time on hair and makeup and clothes. And when people would receive the awards, they would stand up in front of others and they would kind of pretend to thank people, but it was really about watching them thank people, you know, kind of look at me thanking people. But what Fred Rogers did that night has become sort of a, a modern parable. Jason, will you play the video? For giving generation upon generation of children confidence in themselves, for being their friend, for telling them again and again and again that they are special and that they have worth, it is my honor 
on behalf of everyone here and on behalf of the millions of children whose mornings you have brightened with your kindness to present you with this Lifetime Achievement Award. It's a beautiful night in this neighborhood. Uh, so many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Ten seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. Ten seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. <laughs> Whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. Special thanks to my family and friends and to my coworkers in public broadcasting, family communications, and this academy for encouraging me, allowing me all these years to be your neighbor. May God be with you. Thank you very much. You are here because someone loved you into being. You were loved when you were conceived. You were loved by the woman who held you in her womb, who altered her life to nourish and protect you. You were loved by the one who held you in their arms, by the one who spoke to you or sang to you. You were loved by the one who introduced you to this marvelous world that is full of wonder. You were loved by the one who kept you safe. You were loved by the one who taught you and the one who helped you discover your gifts. You are loved by your life partner. You are even loved by your children who give back what you have given to them. We are loved into being. That is not just a biological story, it is a theological story. Love is the heart of reality. And I know sometimes it's hard to see. We wonder if love indeed is strong enough. Tom Juno wrote an essay in 2019, 20 years after his first encounter with Fred Rogers. It's in the Atlantic magazine. It's also worth a read. He wrote about all the attention that Fred Rogers had got, all the adulation that Rogers had received, and he was grateful for it, but Juno was also sad. 
He was sad because he believed that Fred Rogers had lost. What he meant is that in Fred's mission to show the world radical kindness, to get people to believe in goodness, Juno said that Rogers had ultimately failed. Media, especially social media, has shown us to ourselves, and we are not as good as Fred believed we could be. We remember Fred Rogers, Juno says, but we're not convinced that we're capable of the love that Fred told us we were capable of. I don't think Juno's right. It's true, love doesn't always seem like it's on the ascent. Sometimes love feels quite weak. But it is the one thing we are taught to trust. It is the heart of reality. Everything and everyone is loved into being. Love bears and believes and hopes and endures all things. And we know this. Even now we know it only in part but someday we will know it in full, even as we are fully known, even as we are fully loved. Let the church say, amen.